My name is Danielle Walker, and you are listening to On the Ground. Hey, Gear Up, and welcome to episode one of On the Ground. This is the National Council for Community and Education Partnerships' first podcast. My name is Danielle Walker, and I'm the Associate Director of Programs at INSEP. I am so excited that you've decided to listen in. So since this is our first podcast, you may be asking, what is On the Ground and what's with this name? On the Ground is a space for us to share stories, resources, and tools that we believe are essential to the work of gear coordinators. So why the name? Well, we understand coordinators to be those folks on the ground, get it, (laughs) on the ground, helping students and families find their way in this post-secondary journey. So our first guest is a Gear Up MVP, someone I am so excited to get to share this mic with. I'll let him introduce himself. My name is Julius Brownlee. I am a lead site coordinator for KU Gear Up, um, nestled right here in the heart of the Midwest, Kansas City, Kansas, where we partner with USD 500 and we serve 3,300 students in the graduating classes of 2023 and 2024. So if you follow us on Instagram, you know that from time to time we host Instagram takeovers. These takeovers are essentially a series of videos created by someone within the GEARUP community or someone related to the GEARUP community, um, sharing tools, best practices, a day in the life, a cup of coffee, things like that. Um, And so a few months back, Julius took over our Instagram and let's just say he exceeded expectations. Normally I get up, get in the shower, brush my teeth, usually read a Bible scripture right now. I'm doing the book of Proverbs, but this right here, this is what gets me going. Better than coffee, because you are a leader. You are important. You can change the world. You are a friend. You are brave. You are a creator, and you are an explorer. So that's just a snippet of the videos or the group of videos that Julia shared. The remaining videos were all filled with this same energy, um, encouragement, inspiration. And I thought, there's no way we're going to just let him get away with only a few videos. We decided, hey, let's get him on, let's get him recorded, and let's hear what he has to share with the rest of the Gear Up community. Um, and so I am so excited to introduce you to Mr. Julius Brown Lee. So Julius, why don't you start by just telling us about how you arrived at Gear Up? Well, you know, what what journey, what pathway did you take? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, um, prior to Gear Up, uh, I did a number of things. So I could, you could almost say that I was a, a jack of all trade. Um, but starting off fresh out of college. Um, I worked at one of the or the um, oldest black owned and operated radio station 
in the United States, which is KPRS Hot 103 Jams. I served about six years over there as an on-air personality, um, living my best life, fresh out of college, you know, 23, uh, 22, 23 years old. Um, and also, um, I worked as a substitute teacher in the district that I am a product of, which is USD 500 here in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, did that for a couple of years, did some like um, corporate America jobs and like collecting. I worked for Chrysler Financial. I was the repo man. So I was, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was the bad guy. You didn't pay your bill. I'm coming to get that unit. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and then fast forward to my time in Chicago, um, where I moved in about, what, 2000, maybe year 2000. Shot up to Chicago, um, was still doing the corporate America thing. I was working for, um, I want to say Wells Fargo at the time, and I was doing Chapter 13 and Chapter 7 bankruptcy. So, again, I'm learning about all the negative sides of financial literacy because I did repossessions and now I'm doing bankruptcies. Um, And then the funny thing happened. I used to get these phone calls from my son, my oldest son his school and they used to be like, man, Sabe is acting out of school and he's doing all this stuff. And I'm like, he doesn't do that at home. Like, you know, what do you mean acting out? Um, and I, we learned that my son has Asperger's. Learned a little bit more about the disease and, and that it was a, a, a the social disorder. I was like, okay, if I really want to understand what's going on in my son's school and you know, why are they, why are they saying that he's acting out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is an IEP? What does that mean? Um, and a lot of parents, I was in that situation, didn't know what an IEP was, mm-hmm. um, didn't know that, you know, that, that that IEP was like, hey, that carries weight. You know, that's that's your leverage into making things equitable for your son or daughter, especially for those kids that have been identified with special needs. Um, so I got into um an alternative school as a, as a paraprofessional. And then from there, I started working as a paraprofessional in a, in a regular ed classroom, but I was assisting a lady who was visually impaired. Mm. That turned me on to a whole different type of ball game and dealing with kids. And there I developed my passion um, for working with kids. And I've, and I've been there ever since. So the interesting thing about Julius's background is that the way that he came into Gear Up is just as unique and diverse as pretty much every other coordinator. I'm almost willing to bet that if you asked your colleagues what they did before Gear Up, you will be pleasantly surprised to learn that maybe they were a chef, a musician, or a poet, or something that's completely not related to education. At least the connection isn't as clear. But it's also something that I think Gear Up benefits from, and that's the diversity of experiences and perspectives, especially when we're talking about kids, because every student is always asked what they want to be when they grow up or what they want to do after high school. And it's great if they can be surrounded by a group of people who have diverse backgrounds that can then share some of the possible pathways that can lead them to being a musician or a teacher or a doctor or maybe an associate director of programs at NSEP. Who knows? Let's jump back in. Um, 
did a short stint of teaching English and history in Chicago, Mm -hmm. Um, moved back to Kansas City, and I got into um, a position called a school assessment manager. And I did that for about four to five years, and I worked under um, some great leadership, uh, a man by the name of Dr. Dan Wright, who really, really broke down the importance of data and how it and, and the role that it plays in your instruction. And it just turned me on to a whole different, you know, like it refueled the passion yeah. that, that I already had. Like, what? This is going on? Like, no way. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then when you, you know, you're working at a job and, and then one day you're sitting in your office and it all hits you like a sack of bricks. I went to college, um, Danielle. I, I, I took AP courses in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good student. GPA was cool. Athlete. Um, was in a ton of clubs. Um, a full time. I, I enjoyed my high school years. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, got to college. My English class. And, and we're talking about Beowulf, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know who that was. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. This part of the conversation hit home for me. One, because as a former Garrett coordinator with Garrett Philadelphia, we often had these conversations about students who were high performers or students that had high uh, GPAs within high school, getting to college and kind of getting lost in the sauce, if you will. Um, They were like big fish in a small pond while in high school. But once they got to college, there were so many other students just like them. High performing students, the best in their class. And now it was really difficult to navigate the things that they didn't get in high school. Even as a student, that was me as well. I graduated from high school. I was a great student. I went to Drexel University and I found myself kind of getting lost and understanding that there were maybe opportunities that other students had that I didn't have myself. I felt, you know what I mean? And here it is. And it's not a knock on my Southern and country brothers and sisters in Mississippi, because if it wasn't for them, you know, really pouring into me and educating me about what was going on, I'd be like, what? You know, they helped me, you know, help me get a, a decent grade in the class. But they they knew what Beowulf was. They had read it. Mm-hmm. In Mississippi now, from that from that school assessment manager position, um, um, high school buddy of mine, we went to different high schools, but um, a lady by the name of Corey Hall, real good friend, she was like, hey, um, I got an opening at this thing called Gear Up that, that I do. Because she was a, a school assessment manager, too. And she had left to go to gear up. She's like, yeah, you know, they got a position open. You should, you should apply. Um, went and applied, you know, um, pat on, pat, uh, toot my own horn. I, I torn, I knocked the interview out of the park and, uh, was uh, really for real. Um, you know, and, um, I was offered the job that day, walked out and was offered the job that day. And, um, you know, it's been a, it's been one heck of an experience from, from day one. And one of the um, better, um, as far as uh, career choice decisions that I think I've ever made in my life, 
because I'm learning so much about um, education, um, equality, equity, um, making sure that the field is really level. And I think that's, that's, you know, one of the main things is that we need more people who want to cultivate the culture so it doesn't die. So, so the culture of equity doesn't die because that's, that's really the word culture. It comes from that background, like tending to something, making sure it continues to grow and fester and be relevant, um, you know, as, as things change. It's funny that Julius brings up culture because I often call him a culture carrier. And that's essentially someone that can walk into a room and instantly change the vibe of that space. Um, in Julius's case, it's for the better. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think that Garrup is the same. Garrup can walk into any classroom, school, organization, institution, doesn't matter, and dramatically change the way that that system understands college and career readiness. I think that's a ton of influence and power in something that most coordinators may not realize that they have. You have the influence and the ability to impact change. Um, so right now we have a district-wide grant um, here in Kansas City, Kansas with USD 500. Um, it is 3,300 students serve as lead site coordinator um, and each um, of our, uh, well, every one of my colleagues, we have a different high school that we that we um, facilitate. Um, in this district right now, there are five area high school, I'll say this, four area high schools and one academy. Um, and, you know, our students are first generation, low income, um, the demographic of this district, we, we have um, a huge Hispanic population um, and then our African-Americans and then everybody else is kind of, um, you know, nestled therein. So just to tag on to what Julius already shared in terms of demographic data, Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools report that they have 51 percent of their students identifying as Latinx, 25 percent identifying as Black. 11% identifying as white, 7% identifying as Asian, and then 44% of those students identify as English language learners. USD 500 had a lot of pride. Um, I'm a graduate of Wyandotte High School. It's the best high school this side of heaven in Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> I'm a proud alumni. Um, and the crazy part about our staff is that um, many of us make up um, these are alumni of these high schools and, mm -hmm. and the, and the, and the, and the passion and, the, um, you know, for our schools and, and the competition is still there. Um, it's funny. I work at Washington high school. Washington was Wyandotte's main rival mm -hmm. in, in a couple of sports. And, and now it's funny that, um, I consider myself a, a piece of Washington, because of the work that I've done um, since 2017 and working with their staff and, and um, you know, administration and their students, I now consider myself a part, a part of that. And even with this new grant, um, I'm, I'm becoming a piece of all of these high schools and learning the history and, and the rich and deep tradition that they all have. 
I think it's interesting that you talk about how you've become kind of ingrained in these communities and the schools that you support. And so I wonder, how do you get gear up to that level? So as a person, someone who's been a part of this district for you know your entire life, you've had a connection. Um, how do you help with getting gear up to make that same connection with that school or district? I think that it starts with um, sitting at the table and having those courageous conversations around the data and around the need of the district. What, you know, um, with our, with, with our grant, it would look like, Hey, so what do you need? We see you have these different pathway programs going on in your school. Um, what do you need? What are the resources that you need? And supply those resources um, to our teachers. When, mm-hmm. and, and, and then holding the principals, teachers, and everybody accountable to do the work, mm-hmm. use the resources. So let me ask you, in, in like, kind of getting accountability going and ensuring that everyone's on the same page. How can gear up help schools understand the importance of gear up work, but also how to utilize gear up? You may have to come sit in a hour and a half long PD on a Wednesday half day sponsored by gear up. Yeah. And hell we'll even give you lunch. (laughs) Um. Well, right now, really, with, with us, and, and it's funny you ask that, we just uh, received our, um, what was it? Was it a quarterly data report? I want to say like a quarter data, data report or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, myself and, and my um, director, um, we're, we're the, uh, call ourselves Batman and Robin, a.k.a. the Geek Squad. And we're not, we're, she's really a numbers person. Like Renita White, shameless plug, shout out to Renita White, um, who is a director of uh, family services with our grant. She's a number person out of this world. And it's funny when we get these reports and me and her sit and we have data meetings every week um, and we sit and we go over this information. Mm. Um, and it's funny the findings that we see when we dig a little deeper and in our data meetings, we find ourselves like, hey, could you could you go back? Could you go back and correlate this a little bit and break it down so we can really see what's going on? And, and the and our people in our red team and our dissemination team are like, these guys really ask some great questions. They're like, we love coming to the data meeting with you all because you guys ask those hard driving questions and really, really understanding the data. But to to answer your question, um, our leadership team, they meet with um district officials, I want to say maybe if not twice a month, mm-hmm. but, but weekly, and they share this information. Um, I think the problem, and, and then here where, here's where the problem lies, mm-hmm. is they share the information, but I think that, and I said problem, I'll say opportunity area is really helping our partners and other practitioners understand what these numbers really mean mm. 
you know, um, and how to go about um, using them to refine instruction and programming and curriculum and all that good stuff and where gear up fits in in that equation. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like you said, practitioners really don't know the work, even when you show them the numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. And they'll look at gear up like a, like a condiment. <laughs> you know, I go to McDonald's and I get some French fries and they give me what? Ketchup. I get some nuggets. They give me barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a fan of chicken McNuggets or French fries, regardless of this ketchup or barbecue sauce, they're going to be bomb to you when you bite into them. You may not even need, a, you know what I mean? You may not need yeah. that condiment, but that condiment is there to enhance the flavor mm-hmm. of what is in the bag. So that's what districts have to see. Like, don't, you can look at it as a, as a condiment, but use it. Yeah. Because we want to enhance the flavor of what you're giving our shareholders and our communities. So I think Julius makes a really good point here. And that's about the value of GearUp. So we all know that GearUp is an excellent opportunity for every student. It provides access to things that maybe wouldn't normally be available to certain students, which is awesome. But he also makes it clear that GearUp is a tool. It's not just the solution, but it's an intervention and a much larger system of supports and a much larger system of people. That GearUp has the ability to kind of add to the table. So we have some awesome things in terms of policy. We have some awesome things in terms of curriculum. And here's GearUp, another tool or method for helping us reach those points or those goals where every single student receives a quality education and quality access and opportunities. A good educational system changes the dynamic of a community in so many ways. Mm. And, and that's and that's the main thing is that this little condiment that you have in your bag will change the whole dynamic of a community. It's, you know, it's a recipe. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You, you just, I've never seen a one ingredient, you know, recipe and, it, and it's really the bomb.com, but it takes a number of things. I think the first thing that we have to look at, um, what we do, we look at, we look at our objectives. What are, what are we trying to do? Mm. What, what is the objective of this grant? And when you know what the objectives are, now we can go and see how those objectives line up with the mission of your partner or a practitioner or the district. Um, after you look at the objectives, the D word, the data. <laughs> what, what is, you know what I mean? What does that say? How, what, is, what does that look like? Um, you know, in, in past years, we saw that a lot of our kids struggled in math. So we would offer math tutoring. That's something that Gear Up can do. And it, and it also, you know, hits one of our objectives to make sure that our kids are academically sound, um, you know, coming out of this grant. So, um, and that they get some type of rigor. Um, so we, we can offer those opportunities with ACT, with math tutoring. And then lastly is the creative part. After you look at your objectives, after, the, after you look at the data, and then the things that Gear Up can do um, creatively on their own that, you know, 
it it meets the objective of the grant. It coincides with something going on with the district, but it just looks a little different. It doesn't look like um, it's like class beyond the four walls of class, if you if you feel what I'm saying. So, you know, we can do those things like HBCU um, block parties. We can do those creative things. We can do. We have Saturday Academies, Wednesday, What's Up Wednesdays, where we bring in special guests and we give kids those experiences that they may not have in school because, you know, there's so much going on. We can do science fairs. We can bring in gear up partners like Cool Speak and come in and do little workshops and stuff like that. So that that to me, that's the ingredient um, or those are those are the ingredients that make um you're a programming viable and that's how we make our decisions we just look at everything we look at the objectives we look at the data and then we come up with quality programming quality programming that brings in and builds capacity Mm. so so what are some final thoughts or advice that you have for new and current gear up coordinators just understand that it doesn't happen overnight um, the person's understanding doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, understand that everybody's not going to buy into it. Um, you know, you can you can lead a horse to the water, um, but you can't make them drink it. Yeah. Um, everybody's not going to be on board. Um, don't be offended. You know, um, don't take offense. Um, it's just that some people are wired to be the way they are. And it's, and it's, and it's cool. And, you know, so it's like, what do you do then, Julius? It's, you understand. Mm-hmm. You just understand. Um, and pretty soon um, they'll, they'll, they'll catch it. They'll catch the wave. So that's what you have to do. You, you know, don't take offense and don't be, don't grow weary. Don't, it's not working. Just stay diligent. So big shout out to Julius Brownlee for one, this final thought about regardless of the barriers and challenges, one of the main things that keeps Garrett going is the diligence of Garrett professionals. And thank you all for joining us for our very first podcast. I hope that you join us again next month. We'll have a new topic, a new guest. But until then, my name is Danielle Walker. And again, I'm the Associate Director of Programs at INSEP. I'll leave you with a little bit of music from Mr. Julius Brownlee himself. See you soon.